Wonderful Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, what greater purpose could there be in life, Lord, than to worship you, Lord? Not as just as the angels do, Lord, who constantly in your presence worship you, Lord, and cry, holy, holy, holy. But, Lord, that we have a life, O oh God, Lord, that brings glory to your name, Lord, and glory like the fact that you are a Savior, you are a healer. Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're a deliverer, Lord Jesus. You are all in all, O oh God, and you've been with us, Lord, and you've gave us the promise, Lord. And Father, our lives, Lord, are a testimony, Lord Jesus, and a proof and an evidence, Lord, that you are going to finish the work, Lord. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, to be able to be gathered again in your house tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the service this morning, for Brother Red laying himself aside. Lord, I pray you'd be with him tonight as he's home with his wife, Lord. I pray. Lord, would you come in their living room, Lord, where they're at, Lord Jesus. Have your way in their home, Father. Lord, we love them, Lord, and I pray, oh God, that your hand would be upon Sister Sandy, Lord. We commit her into your hands, Lord, and Brother Joel, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for what you've done, Lord, and I pray, Lord, according to thy will, Lord Jesus, may you give them healing, Father, we pray. Lord, we commit all things to you, this service, Lord. It's in your hands, Lord. I believe you directed it so far, Lord, and we just want to continue in that channel now. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, musicians. That's all the singing we'll do. Amen. We'll take our Bibles together, turn to the book of Genesis. While you're turning, I'll get Sister Ruth. If you don't mind just putting up that slide, I'll just real make a quick announcement while you're turning in your Bible. Um, for those that are youth and those that are have young children, <clears throat> We're going to do another gym night this Friday, uh, Friday on the 3rd, and, and uh, between 7 and 8 p.m. will be for the Sunday school children. If you are in Sunday school or you are a parent that has children in Sunday school, please bring your running shoes too, and you can run around with your children as well and enjoy the time. Um, between 8 and 10 p.m. will be for the uh, young people, and this time it will be at the Central Lions Rec Center. The address is up there. You can... I looked that up. If you have any questions, just give me a shout or text me or something, and we'll make sure you get there. Amen. Thank you. Let's take our Bibles now. Amen. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Amen. Appreciate the song service tonight and the specials. God bless you, Mr. Naomi, Mr. Hannah, Brother Jeremy. Amen. Amen. One day when we get to the other side, we won't need microphones anymore. And all the headaches they cause. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. As you read that from the Amplified Bible, it says God tested and proved Abraham. And it says, And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, 
whom thou lovest, and get thee and 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 get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Amen. Abraham had a lot of experience in that. You start walking, and I'll start guiding. Amen. We need to do that more often. Start walking, and I'll start guiding. Amen. Let's go just a couple verses over to verse 11 and, and verse 12. We'll just jump for sake of time. It says, And the angel of the Lord called upon him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Amen. Jump down a few more verses to verse 16. It says, and, 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 and uh, go to verse 15, sorry. And it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that, I, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven. That's his spiritual seed. And it says, and as the sand that is upon the seashore, that's his natural seed. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. That's all of it together. Amen. As long as Israel is in their homeland, they're blessed in this way. And as long as we remain in the promises of God, thy seed, the stars in the heaven, shall possess the gates of his enemy. And in thy seed shall all the eight nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Amen. May the Lord's blessing on the word. You may have your seats. Amen. I want to take a title tonight, and as much as just that thought that came for free there sounds like a good title, You Walk and I'll Guide, we're going to take a different road tonight, which is uh, Extreme Love, Extreme Love. And, and I want to take a subtitle of a word that I made up, which is Overcoming the Pharaoh-to-Sean Spirit. If you don't know what that means, you're about to know. The Pharaoh-to-Sean, that is obviously a mix of a Pharisee and Laodicean. What we have today is a Pharaoh to see in spirit that loves to creep its way into churches, into messages, into people, into our hearts and minds that Brother Branham calls a Pharisee an actor. That's what it means. Amen. But let's not jump into that right away, so just, just have your attention here for a minute. But as we go into these scriptures, and God, as God begins to test Abraham, begins to prove Abraham, and as he begins to come to him, God was, did not come and say, you know, take that one son that you, you don't really care about. No, take Isaac, thine only son, the one that you love. God knew the love of a father, and he knew how much Abraham loved Isaac. And he said, take Isaac, thy only son, the one that you love. Take him up and sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show thee. And in, in Moriah, and Abraham, if we know the story, as Abraham began to get up, and as he began to walk, and he began to take a couple servants with him, and he got the donkey, and he began to go towards the land of Moriah, a couple days' journey, I think it was. And as he began to walk along this way, I'm sure the servants begin to look at Abraham. Abraham wondering what was going on. 
because Abraham wasn't letting it, I'll say, out of the bag very much of what was happening and what he wasn't letting on what was really going on, what was going to take place. But as they begin to look at it, they begin to realize Abraham, a donkey, is not a sacrificial beast. And you've got wood and you've got fire. You've got what you need to make a sacrifice. And if we're going to a mountain, I'm pretty sure you're going to set up an altar because his servants knew Abraham. They knew the kind of man that he was. They knew the kind of a life that he lived. And they knew the kind of person he was. But they weren't in the habit of questioning Abraham. So as they begin to walk, they didn't begin to make questions. But rather, I'm sure, perhaps their head began to hung low as they begin to think within their own minds, What's going on? The atmosphere is a little bit ominous, and I'm not sure what's going to happen here. And as they begin to ponder within themselves, but they came to a certain point where the servant couldn't go anymore. It was between a father and a son. And now as they begin to go on, and as, as he would say to them, stay here, and we'll take, as they begin to take, I'm pretty sure that the servants in their own minds, perhaps their greatest fears begin to become confirmed as they realize, here is Isaac carrying the wood, and he took the knife, and he took the fire, and they went up. Just them. And they begin to ponder within themselves. And it was Isaac that it dawned on him when Isaac said, I see the wood, I see the fire. We're building an altar, but where's the sacrifice? But that's when Abraham began to speak as he'd pondered on it, I'm sure, the entire journey as they traveled and as they walked. It was heavy on his heart as what God had told him. But as it was so heavy on him and on his heart and on his mind, he didn't even tell his son what God had told him. He didn't even tell his own son. And as, as he looked on, this was, uh, as I'm beginning to describe this, I want you to understand, this is the love of a father to his son. Because Abraham loved Isaac so much that he was willing to go to any extreme to see the word of God manifested in Isaac's life. And if this was the word of God for Isaac, Abraham wanted to go to every nth degree to make sure that the, that word was manifested in Isaac's life. He wanted to make it the best atmosphere he could to be sure that Abraham or that Isaac would be able to be exactly what God had envisioned him to be. But something about it as Abraham was walking and as he was pondering along the way, he didn't quite understand how God would promise him seed that would be multiplied in earlier chapters and how he would make him as a seed upon the sand of the seashore and how he would do all these great things and make a great nation out of him. But yet now he was to go sacrifice the only seed that he had. And maybe the devil began to creep in and begin to talk to him and say, you just sent Ishmael away. You just sent Hagar away. And now God wants you to go. The only thing you've got left, God wants you to get rid of it. See, God is a God of extremes. He wants you to go to the nth degree in order to come right to him to say, you've got to lay it all down in order to serve me to the level that I'm asking you to serve me. Because Abraham didn't just love Isaac, but Abraham loved God so much that if God wanted to be with Isaac, he was willing to fulfill God's word more than his own desires. But as he pondered in these things and as he began to carry on, he began to think about it in this way and said, Lord, you're able to provide for yourself a sacrifice. That when Isaac finally asked the question, where's the sacrifice? Those are the words that came out of Abraham's mouth. He didn't take his arm around and begin to explain to him, well, Lord, well, son, the Lord met me and I, I mean, I, it's you. He didn't go down that road with him. But he began to talk to him along the way and begin to say, the Lord will provide for himself. 
still not knowing exactly how it would be. And this is the real love of a father that I'll say to the outside world, maybe to the servants, he looks maybe at a father and begins to say, are you really going to do this, Abraham? Are you really going to follow through with this? Are you really going to sacrifice your son like this? Are you really going to go up on this mountain, you and your son, to offer unto the Lord with no sacrificial beast? How's this going to play out, Abraham? What's going to happen here? Surely you won't don't mean this. How, how, do you really even love Isaac? Because we often mistake in it and we look at it, the love of a mother as being the ultimate love. And it is, an ultimate, it is a really good love. And if we look at the love of a mother, though, it becomes very doty. That's a motherly love. It's very loving and soft. And it's very kind in this way. And often it, it, it can be very pitiful towards the children and towards their loved ones. And that's because that's what's in her heart. And she loves them that much in that way that she wants to do everything she can to make their life as easy as possible. That's the mother's love. Amen, mothers. Are you with me this morning? I know you treat your children this way. My wife treats my children that way too. Where she loves them in that way. She wants to do everything she can for them, but she wants them to be raised upright. So she's not bending over backwards in certain things and compromising. But no, but she wants them to be loved, to feel loved. A father's not that way though. A father's love, he'll go to extremes to make sure his son or daughter turns out right. He'll go to extremes that maybe somebody else doesn't understand. Somebody from outside the family won't see it the same way. Won't look at it and maybe look at him and say, you're making a big mistake and what you're saying is wrong. But a father will go to an extreme because if a real father has a desire for his children to serve God, he'll do everything he can to make sure they have the best chance to manifest the word of God in their life. And that was Abraham's point in doing this. He desired so much that God's word would be fulfilled. That at all costs and at all extremes, his love was able to go in that direction. And, the, and, and in what Abraham did and in what Abraham was able to, to, to fulfill in this way, it so pleased God. It so pleased him that he came down and he, he, he reaffirmed and he even magnified his covenant with Abraham as he began to say in blessing and he blessed Abraham and saying that thy seed will possess the gates of the enemy and because of thy seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? Because you obeyed. Because you took my word above your own desire no matter how extreme it looked. You took everything else and called it as though it was not and you took my word and my word alone. Hallelujah. Because when you take God's word, his word over here may lead you to an extreme. But God will not uh, denounce or go against his word over here. That's what Abraham was resting upon. He promised this was my seed. That this was the promised son. Now he's telling me to sacrifice him. Somehow, God is going to bring those two together. And it's not for me to figure out. That's for God to figure out. But I need to follow his word over here. And I know he'll bring it full circle if I just trust him. Abraham was, was never, never held anything back. He didn't hold his only son. One that he loved. He wouldn't hold him back. He was willing to give his all to allow God to be the musician, I'll say it this way, to play his life out exactly as God desired. He wanted God to play it out as God desired to play it out, with him not having any input. Amen. He wasn't using auto-tune. 
He wasn't trying to figure out how can I have a little input in how this, this is played. No, he said, Lord, you just play it. Go with me to Genesis chapter 37. I want to just bring in one more example here before we carry on. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, goes a couple generations later into Jacob. It says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being just 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha. And his father's wives, his, his, Zilpha, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. But now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him. And could not speak peaceably unto him. Jump down to verse 31 with me. We know the story of Joseph and how he, he went out to check on his brothers. And, and as he went out there, they threw him in a pit. And they took him out of the pit. And they sold him to the Midianitish traders. Ishmaelitish merchants. There we go. No, they were Midianite. There we go. We'll get it straight. Verse 31 says, and they took Joseph's coat. The brothers took Joseph's coat after all this was done, and they killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or not. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob now rent his clothes and put on sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Oh my, the love of a father. How he loved Joseph so much. So much that it drove all of his brothers to hate him. But it's the power of a father's love. That if he takes it unbalanced and he just puts it all upon one, but it was a type that we're talking about. But as, as Jacob began to pour his love into Joseph, that, that, that as Joseph was, was loved to the father, all his brothers looked at it and said, we don't like this guy. Why? Because he's going to take our place. He's going to take our inheritance. Jacob is going to give him everything. Because he loves them so much. And how, how can these things be? And they didn't like it, so they went through their evil deed. But even as they brought the coat to him, thinking maybe that it would give Jacob some closure, and here's the coat, and here's the, beat, the blood of the beast, and here's everything that happened, and oh, it's terrible. Thank God we found his jacket, and oh my goodness. But in all of it, it didn't help. The love of a father is so great that it went beyond just, okay, I've got these other sons now and I've got clothes. He says, no, I'm going to go to the grave mourning for my son. This is the one that I loved and there's nothing that can replace him. Think about this for a moment as this is, it is, this is the power of a father's love, that it was the love of a father that drove his sons to jealousy to sell Joseph into slavery. But jump down to chapter 45 for me for a minute, chapter 45 of Genesis 
in verse 25, it says, and, and they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan, and to Jacob, their father, the, the, his, his ten brethren came back, and I think Benjamin was with them this time too, and he said, and they told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is the governor over all the land of Egypt, and Jacob's heart fainted, and he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, and the, the spirit of Jacob, their father, was revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Oh my, Here's the, I just want to bring this out in the love of a father for a moment, where Jacob, he loved Joseph so much, he was willing to mourn his whole life away for one out of 12. But rather, here, when, he, when news came, oh, he's alive, the same ones that lied to him about him being dead, now he thought, you're just lying to me again because you're tired of me mourning. He had mourned all these years so long that the words of these men could not turn around his mourning. He recognized, no, I love him so much. I need him. I need some better evidence. But when they begin to tell the words of Joseph to Jacob, when they begin to say, these are all the things that he's done. Look at all the mighty things he's brought us. Look at all the things that he's promised us. He's alive. It was enough of an evidence to prove that, that Joseph was alive. Amen. And it was enough of a, that, that the love of a father for a son to move a whole tribe from Israel down to Egypt. Just one word of knowing he's alive, he recognized it and he said, I'm, this is all gone. All, every land that I've got, every home that I've got, everything that I've got, all the pastures, we're gone. Praise be to God. My son's alive. We're going down there to be with him. I got no more interest in being up here because Joseph is down here. And he started even moving, just like Abraham, he started walking down and he stopped along the way and he made sacrifices unto God and God said, don't fear to go down. I've prepared this place for you. Amen. But I want to just take, if you would, all right, we're still doing okay for time. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, you don't have to turn to it, but I'll just read it quickly. It says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son Despise not thou the chastenings of the Lord. No faint than that when thou art rebuked of him. We look at these types in the Bible of Abraham and Jacob, and they're types of something greater to come. There's something that's showing the love of a father that we're, we're, we're that, 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 that the fact that Jesus Christ is alive, the father's not some way off far God, but rather he desires to be where Jesus is because they are one. Amen. The fact that he's alive is enough evidence to prove that all the promises in the Bible have been justified. Because he didn't just die and lay in the ground, but he rose again on the third day to prove that he indeed is him. And, and, and as, as, as we go into this now, in the love of a father, he begins to say, My son, despise not the chastenings of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Because remember, the love of a father will go to extremes. It's not just a doty love. It's, it's a strong love. And it says, In whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom ye receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you then as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? 
But if you be without chastisement, therefore all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. In other words, listen, if you're not willing to stand the chastisement of the Father, you're not a son. He says, in order to be a son, there has to be some correction. There has to be something that takes place in order to properly bring you to correction, to bring you to your place that God has designed for you, that God has made for you. There was another father spoken of in the New Testament which had two sons and one came and asked for his inheritance. We know the story called the prodigal son. And the prodigal son went out and we know the love of the father for that prodigal son made the other son jealous. Because he loved him so much when he came back, he threw a feast for him. He gave him everything. But the other son began to be jealous and say, you haven't done anything for me. He says, all that I have is yours. What do you mean I haven't done anything for you? It's all yours. Don't be jealous over your brother. It's the fact that there's something within me, that beating, that I love him. And I'm willing to go to an extreme to do what it takes to put him back in his rightful place as a son. Amen, because God has created and is playing out in our day a great symphony. Amen, we're not new to this, that God is placed and playing out a symphony through his bride, the bride of Jesus Christ, that he's desiring that there be a a tune and there be a certain beat that we march to, that it would be something that he has designed from before the foundation of the world. But he has to shape and mold each instrument to get it just right. To get the right tune out of it so he it can play the purpose, purpose to part. He takes great pains in it. It's not something he takes lightly. It doesn't just happen upon it. He doesn't just get up and plunk a string and twist a, 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 a thumb screw and just hope it turns out right. No, he takes great pain in making sure it gets the right sound. It gets the right tune. It fits with the rest of the instruments. It's not one clashing with the other one, but there's a fit together that's joined and comes together. And in this time, there's often rest in the music has been said that there is no music in a rest, but there is the making of music in it. And then the, 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 the man that would go on to speak this back in the 1800s, I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he said, in our, in our whole life melody, the music is broken off here and there by rest. And we foolishly think that we've come to the end of the tune. When God sends a time of forced leisure or sickness or disappointed plans or frustrated efforts and makes a sudden pause in the choral hymn of our lives and we lament that our voices must be silent for a time and our part missing in the music which ever goes up to the ear of the creator. But how does a musician read the rest? God's the great musician. To him, see, the musician, he, you see him beating the time with unwavering count. Even when there's no music, he's still. It doesn't stop. Why is nobody playing? Because it's a rest. Something's building up. I'm going to stop before I get messed up. But not not without design. A rest is not without design. 
it's not without design does God write music of our lives. It's purposed for us. But be it ours to learn the tune and not to, dis, not to be dismayed at the rest. They are not to be slurred over, nor to be omitted, nor to destroy the melody, nor to change the keynote. If we just look up, God himself will beat the time for us. With the eye on him, we will strike the next note full and clear. Oh, praise God. When God brings a rest in our lives, sometimes we look at it, we get so discouraged. Lord, I'm not doing anything. I feel like I'm just not going anywhere. And if we just fall asleep, when God's ready for us and the next note comes and we're not there, we don't hit it. But if we just look, look and keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, like Abraham did when he said, just go, I'll show you the mountain. He just kept his eyes on Christ. So God showed him, this is the mountain. This is the one that I'm showing you. He had to keep his eyes on Christ. So when the next beat was played, he hit it perfectly on time. When the next note was played, he had just hit it perfectly on time. As we would even read in John chapter, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, as we would look and we would read about in Hebrews, what son is he whom the father does not chastise? And he whom he loveth, he rebukes and he chastens. But as we get into it in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. In other words, it's the manner of love. What is the love that he rebukes us, that he chastens us, that he tries us, that he proves us, that we love him just like he did Abraham to try him and prove him, to show that Abraham, you're a son. And I love you and I know what you did. You did it because you're willing to go to the extreme end of love to do everything it takes to fulfill my word. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew not him. But it says, beloved. I love the way John writes. Beloved, now are you the sons of God. It doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, praise the Lord. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. And it says this, and every man that hath this hope on him, what does he do? He purifieth himself. In other words, why does he do that? He takes the chastening of the Lord. He receives it, purging his own floor. Even as he is pure. Oh, praise be to God. Brother Branham says in Choosing of a Bride, he says, flee to him. Don't let the devil ever, ever cool you off from this. Stay right with it till you're everyone filled with the Holy Ghost. Insomuch that it will make you come to his word. It'll make you come to this word. It will make you women straight up. It will make you men straighten up. If you say you got the Holy Ghost but won't cope with the word, it's another spirit in you. That's exactly the truth. He says it'll make you stay right with it. Stay with this revival. Don't go away from it. Stay pure. Stay in prayer. Stay looking to Christ until what? He fills you with the Holy Ghost. In so much that he makes you, brings you in line. That if the same spirit that raised up Christ dwell in you, it will quicken 
your mortal body. In other words, it will bring your mortal body in subjection to the same word of God. It will make you line up with the word. God's spirit is on his word. He says the messianic, the anointed word. The bride must be a messiah. The anointed word. The bride, oh, the anointing is sufficient. The bride must be the anointed word. We must be messiahs. Hallelujah. This is where I'm going with this tonight to show you the extreme love of God, our Heavenly Father. Amen. It's not just a halfway love and just a party, but he's willing to go to extremes to take you and I right to the nth degree and extremes to take it right out to the breaking point of something. And God is able to take you and willing to take you right out to the breaking point to show you how much he loves you. Praise be to God. But he's looking for someone who's willing like Abraham to be willing to say, Lord, lead me. I'm just going to walk. You lead the way. Oh, praise be to God. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 writes it this way. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's not just what happened at Calvary. He's still doing it. He's still on on the mercy seat giving of himself, still dipping in his side and taking out the blood and writing pardon when we make a mistake and we fall flat on our faces and we sin. He says, Lord, forgive them. They didn't mean to do it. They didn't understand what that was. And Lord, forgive them. They repented. Amen. He's still giving of himself that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. What's he doing? He'll make you come to the word. If you can receive the Holy Ghost, it'll bring you into that third exodus. Amen. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, without having spot. Oh, praise be to God. Andrew, how are we ever going to do this? We ain't. He is. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it would be holy and without blemish. Praise be to God. So ought man to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man hath hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Let's finish the scripture. We'll come back to that. It says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Brother Branham say, we're bone of his bone. We're flesh of his flesh. We're life of his life. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, that they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak, unto, speak concerning Christ and the church. Hallelujah. Because what was it? Abraham and Isaac. Isaac at that time in Genesis 22 was a type of Christ that God, the Father, was going to go to the extreme end. To do what? To bring about a people. To bring about a bride. He knew he desired a wife, a bride. And he'd have to go right to the nth degree in order to make it happen. He'd have to kill his own son. And it pleased him to bruise him. It pleased him to bring about these things. Why? So that we could be saved. Amen. But it says in Ephesians chapter 5, as we read it, he says, No man, so ought man, oh my, to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man hath ever hated his own flesh. 
Let me repeat that. No man has ever hated his own flesh. Say, well, then why does suicide exist? Because demons exist. Not because a real person hated themselves, but because Satan took control of a person and convinced them to do an evil act. No man has ever hated his own flesh. And let me say this, you're very thankful to have it. I'm thankful to have it. Say, really, all the bad things, and when I would do good, evil's present with me, and all of this. Yeah, I'm still thankful to have it, because without my legs, I would not be able to walk. And without my hands, I wouldn't be able to do very much. Without my lips, I wouldn't be able to speak. I would not be able to contact you and preach to you like I am right now if I was just a spirit floating around. I need this. I'm thankful for it. I might not like the way it looks half the time when I wake up, but that's okay. I'm still happy to have it. And listen, we don't clap our hands together because our left hand hates our right hand. And we just got to discipline ourselves. Like those ones that used to walk around, I can't remember what they were called, and they beat themselves with whips back in the, the man age, and they go along, and oh, oh, is me. My goodness. Lord have mercy. Maybe there was an anointing back then. I think that was the ox anointing, so maybe there was anointing back then, but Lord, so thankful I don't live in that age anymore. Amen. But we don't beat our hands together for that. We endure the pain and you'll have people, you know, sometimes I wonder, someone clapping their hands. But I love to see a brother or a sister just begin to clap. And you know, after a while, it begins to hurt. But why are they doing it? Because they love the Lord. Because they love to worship. They not be able to play this piano with 88 strings in it, but they sure are happy that they can play these 10 strings. They sure are happy that they can make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and they're willing to endure the pain that is for a season of clapping my hands when the song leader will sing it over and over and over. Are we ever going to stop singing this song, brother? But I'm so happy to worship the Lord. Why do we raise our hands? Why? Because it's out of love for God. Not out of a sense of duty. It's not because we want to punish ourselves until our arms get tired. But when they get tired, we raise them higher. Why? Because we love to worship the Lord Jesus. Because he's worthy of our praise. And it's something that we can physically do. Though it be so insignificant. It's the greatest these bodies are capable of. To worship God. Oh, praise be to God. Oh my, when the Spirit comes on us great enough, we dance. Why? It's not to look pretty because dancing in the Spirit don't look pretty. Michael made sure we knew that. In the Bible, when she looked and she looked on David who was dancing in the Spirit and said, that's not right for a king to do that. It was not a pretty dance. In other words, it was not the same dance Salome was doing in the New Testament. It was completely different. It was a good dance that was not pretty to the eye, but it was something to God because he recognized it was all of my energy and everything I can do to worship God because I love the word that's coming into Jerusalem and God is coming to his rightful place. What else can I do? Hallelujah. God so loved his own body. Oh my, because he was willing to take the body, the corporal body of Jesus, bruise it and mar it and shove a spear up inside and put a crown of thorn on his head and shove nails through his hands and feet. How could a man love his own body and do that? Because he recognized this is not my body. This is. And he loved his body so much that he was willing to take all the pain so that you would not have to so he could be the high priest that would be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Oh, praise be to God. 
The love of a father that would go to that nth degree because Jesus was God and God is Jesus. So he would take upon himself our iniquities. He bore the chastisement of our peace. His stripes are for, his stripes are for our healing. Why? He took it upon himself, the extreme love of a father for his children. What manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Oh, it makes us wonder, Lord, do we really give our best? Do we really give the best we have to offer him? When we're not willing to even raise our hands, we're not willing to stand. When God and the power of the Holy Spirit moves and you go, oh my, and you feel like, oh, I ought to stand up and just worship. I ought to stand up and praise. And instead we just sit there. Why? Because we just, our flesh got in the way. But Lord, help us to overcome that thing. Help us to overcome that thing. Why? Because it's a Pharaoh to see in spirit. (laughs) Think about Ananias and Sapphira. I was preaching about them to the young people on Friday, but we'll take them in a completely different light right now because Ananias and Sapphira, they got under an anointing where they thought, we want to be a part of this worship to God. What were they doing when they had all things in common? It was a part of worship. That people were bringing and giving all they had until they could help the widows and the poor and the gospel could go out and the apostles could preach and Paul could go out and preach. And this was a wonderful thing. So they said, well, we want the same blessing that these other people are getting. So we'll say we're giving it all. But they didn't give it all. And because of that, they died. And oh my, far be it from us today to be an Ananias and Sapphira that are willing to give our all to Jesus Christ. And we come to church just halfway and we're not willing to really enter in and we don't want to pray through. We just want to come at the last minute. Slip in and slip out at the end and not be willing to pray before, not be willing to pray afterwards. But I'd rather be with my buddy somewhere else. Lord, help us. Help us to bring an offering of our time to him, to be willing to come early and to pray. Let me ask you tonight, saints, what's more important? What's more important than being in the presence of Jehovah? What's more important than getting in one mind and in one accord? Because if we could get in one mind and one accord, there would not be one feeble person among us. So what doth hinder us? Why do we stop halfway? Why do we come and the cares of life just overwhelm us? Oh, God. How do we do these things? Are we here to not because we just should be? Or is it because we love him? Do we pay our tithes and our offerings because we have to? Because the word of God says so. Or is it because we love him? Listen, we're creatures of habit. We are. We like our routine. I understand that. But what would drive a man to break his routine? It's not hard to make a man break his routine. Let him find a woman he loves. That routine has gone out the window. He will drive hours to go be with her. He'll stay up all night long. He'll go back and forth to a certain city. He'll come forth and, oh my God, all the things that he had and he'd figure it out in his life. You wake up at this time, you go to work, you work out, you do this, you do that. He's got all this routine set out and I feel good in the day because I do it this way. But get hearts in his eyes and all of a sudden, boom. All that drops and he's dragging himself around. I'm so tired. But when she comes around... 
I feel great. I don't need sleep anymore. I got her. And it's all that matters. Why? Because of love. Of these three things, faith, hope, and charity, the greatest of these is love. It'll drive a man to do things and a woman to do things they never thought they'd be capable of. Oh my, they never thought they'd do, but we're, it'll, it'll break the habit. What about our love to Christ? Because we are creatures of habit. We are creatures of routine. We love to get in our daily routine and to our grind, and this is how we go about it, and this is our devotion time, and this is our this time, and this is our that time, and these things are good. They're not necessarily bad at all. They're not bad at all, to be honest with you, doing these things because you got to put time aside and you have to be structured to a certain degree in order to make sure you're living a life and you're, you're not just sloppy because you're sloppy in, in natural life. You'll often that converts over to your spiritual life. So you have to have some level of routine, but I wonder if we're not in love with Christ enough to break out of that routine. Like Abraham, who had a routine, and they settled into one, and I'm sure Sarah had made sure Abraham understood that Isaac has a sleep pattern. Don't break it. All right? He's got to go to bed at this time and wake up at this time, and you got to do this. Well, she was a good mother, and she knew what she was doing, and she was very uh, consumed over this baby, over this Isaac, and as Isaac grew up into a teenager, you know, like some mothers still are today, where even when they're getting old enough to make their own decisions, they still want to get involved. You in bed yet, honey? Mom, I'm 24 and married. Well, just check and make sure, okay. That's the love of a mother. She don't think anything wrong with that. She's just trying to love her little baby boy. That to her is still in diapers and still wonderful. But he's not anymore. But here Abraham was willing to break out of that routine. Of everything that was going on, everything that was happening, and he just said, I ain't even going to tell Sarah. We'll just get up early before she wakes up, and we'll sneak out the door. And maybe he got Isaac and said, hey, we're going to go do something fun today. Yeah, we're going to do, we're going to go on a big, long hike. All right, I love hiking. Let's go, Daddy. And away they went, shh, don't tell Mom. I got everything ready. Okay, all right, we're going, we're going. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Little boys like mischievousness. <laughs> We're not going to tell mom. We're going to sneak out, and she's going to be so surprised when she wakes up and we're gone. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. But it was the love of God pushing Abraham. What about our love to Christ? Has not he said that he would hear us when we cry? That our ear is open every time we pray? Has not he said and he promised to be the high priest that can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities? Has not he said, draw nigh unto me and I'll draw nigh unto you? Has he not said to cast all your cares upon me for he careth for you? Has he not said that he'll bear you up on angels' wings? Has he not said that, he, that the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord? And many are the afflictions of them, but the Lord delivereth out of them all. Has he not promised that if two would agree touching any one thing, then ask the Father that he would grant it? Oh my, is he not the same yesterday, today, and forever? He hasn't changed. He's given us these promises. What is this? This is the extreme love of God being poured out on us saying, I will do all of these things and I've made my covenant to you by two immutable things. One, I cannot lie. And two, that there's an anchor within the veil, that there's something beyond, there's something intangible that I love you and I'm going to make sure you know that I love you. But what about our love back to him? 
How are we to train, treat him? How are we to be able to break our habits and our routines just to do God a service? Are we in love with him or in love with the regime of religious piety? Are we willing to step out and wash his feet when everyone else wouldn't do it because we love him? Oh, oh my. To be a Pharisee, the Ramses of Pharisee is an actor. And the Laodicean church age is the age of people's rights. And today we get a Pharisean spirit where we have the right to act however we feel comfortable. We got the right to put up a false front and act something that we're not. A Pharisee, an actor, says, this is where I am, and inside, it's not that way. The right to act however we feel comfortable, that I won't get out of my place, I won't step out of my pew, I won't step out because I feel comfortable where I'm at, and whether God's pulling me or not, I just, I got a right. No one can tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me to stand up or sit down or turn around or anything else. No one's going to tell me to clap my hands or raise my hands or do any of these things because I have a right to act how I want to act, wherever I want to act it. Oh, my. God can't use that. He's trying to get you to open your heart just enough to let him come in. Like he did to David when David went to go judge the man who had a hundred sheep and took the sheep from the one that had one. What was going on as Brother Donnie Reagan preached it? He was just trying to open his heart enough so he could insert the word. That's what God's trying to do tonight. That's what he's trying to do in every service. He's trying to open your heart just enough. Don't sit there and act like I'm good. Stop acting like everything's okay when inside there's great teardrops crying out for something to satisfy the thirst of the inner man. When God's trying to give it to you over and over and over again, and yet we sit there over and over and over again, unwilling to budge. God wants an Abraham to step out and be willing to do whatever the Lord commands. Lord, as extreme as you want it to be, as harsh as you want it to be, or as lovely as you want it to be, whatever it is, Lord, I want to be that kind of an individual that's willing to step out and allow God to use me according to his will. In other words, in order to play my instrument as he sees fit. Whether it's in a rest or whether it's in a crescendo, Lord, whatever you want, I want to be willing to look to you. He needs a Jacob that'll leave houses and land and people and follow the leading of the Lord. Not some religious piety. Not out of religious piety, but out of love. People that'll stay there and get full of the Holy Ghost until God can move. He says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. 
For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you at a chaste virgin unto Christ. I was reading yesterday in a book called Streams in the Desert. And this was the devotion that so moved on my heart as I was pondering on these things. So let me just read this to you and we'll use this as an example before we close. It says, how an old harper dotes on his harp. How he fondles and caresses it as a child resting in his bosom. His life is bound up in it, but see him tuning it, he grasps it firmly, strikes a chord with a sharp, quick blow, and while it quivers as if in pain, he leans over intently to catch the first note that rises, that note as he feared is false and harsh. He strains the cord with a torturing thumbscrew, and though it seems ready to snap with the tension, he strikes it again, bending down to listen softly as before, till at length you see a smile on his face as the first true tone trembles upward. I wonder if I could take this. I'm going to give you an example tonight. Brother Andrew, the atmosphere is this way or that way. This is how I feel led to do it. It's a nice guitar. Hallelujah. You're all looking at me wondering, Brother Andrew, do you know how to play the guitar? If I did this, you might think I do. And still, John says, nope. He has no idea. But let me just say it this way. If I pick it up and I want to play this, this tune in this way and I want to play Amazing Grace and I, oh, and I can't because it just doesn't, I, I, I'm, I'm not a musician and I become frustrated because I want to play it so bad and I, I, I think this is the D chord and I don't know, maybe this is, I'm not even really sure. Is that, sounds terrible, right? And we could maybe go over to the F chord, but it becomes frustrating because I'm not the musician. I'm not one that's trained to do it. That's the way it is when we try and play our own tune. Say, so, Lord, I know what's best. I'm going to play it this way, and I, I think I got this under control, and I'm going to, I know which direction I should go, and I'm just going to lead my own life, and pretty soon we get frustrated because we're trying to play a certain tune, but it's just not coming out right. It comes out flat, and it comes out all wrong. But sometimes we got to put the guitar in the hands of the master. Brother Philip, come here. How you doing? Good. I'm going to play this guitar for a minute. I want you to play it too. John's turn. Come on, come and play it too. What are you doing? So you can't serve God and mammon. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? When this is the instrument of my life, and I'm trying to spring it, and I'm trying to play it, and God's trying to play it, it doesn't work. It'll never work in the symphony. It'll never help. It'll never go along. It'll be against all the other audiences, everything else. But if I put it in his hand, do you need the string or anything or the sling? You don't know? Okay. But just, just play right here, just, just these chords. No, up here. Yeah, play a song right there. Just there. 
see, see this, is, this is a Pharaoh to see an attitude. God, I want, I want to be in your hands, but just what I want. Let, let me have my way. And I, I, I just, I like this portion, so just have this portion. Don't play up here. Someone said that's not quite right. That's not, that's, no, no, that's too loose. This is my life. But the master says, no, that's not your life. There's more to it than just that. There's more to it than that. But then if I take it over here, now this is the guitar. Let me just have this for a moment. It's the same guitar, right? Same guitar that Brother Philip was playing. And put it there. Now play. Come on, play. Play a tune, your guitar. Potentially, it can. This is what happens when we take it out of the hands of God. And we just get laid aside. You know, I don't want him in my life. It's, it's a potentially, without the Holy Ghost, potentially it could play a beautiful tune. But laying over here, it really can't. And here's the beautiful thing, if I could take this further. The devil can't touch you unless God allows you. So I got to, do you mind if I play the guitar? Okay, thank you. Unless that's exactly what God says to the devil. Go ahead and try. Give her. And he picks it up, and you know, you might have a, okay, okay, strum in my life, it's okay, but pretty soon it turns into kind of a hideous looking thing, because that's what the devil plays. And he might try and make it blend in with the orchestra and blend in with everything that's going on, but pretty soon it begins, people start looking at you going, he's got a different spirit, because it's in the wrong hands. You got to keep it in the right hands. Now you can play. At your own leisure. If you've ever listened to the podcast, that's familiar. See, now it sounds beautiful. With your life in the right hands, it becomes a blessing to others. With your life being used by God, with the Holy Spirit working through you and orchestrating and plucking the strings that begins to, to move and, I didn't say stop. <laughs> and as the Holy Spirit begins to move in your life, it, it's something that now becomes a blessing. It becomes a part of the orchestra. It becomes used. And now as he, as he begins to, all of a sudden he says, it's a rest. Because there's something else going on. And someone else maybe steps up to the piano, and I won't have you all come up right now. But someone else steps up to the piano, and they begin to play, and this one begins to happen, and that begins to happen. But now it's your turn again. But because he was sitting there ready, he knows his part again. He picks it up right where he left off, and he's ready to go. Why? Because he didn't put the guitar down and walk away and say, okay, I'm done now. Praise God. God's done with me. No. He just was right there waiting, saying, Lord, when it's your turn, just play the instrument again. When it's my turn again, Lord, just strum the strings again. Just whatever it takes, Lord. Thank you. I'll get you to put it away if that's okay. Thanks, bro. But that's, that's exactly the way it is. If we just allow God to work in our lives and allow the Holy Spirit and we just have a love relationship with him as he looks upon us and we upon him, then he can begin to play a beautiful melody from our lives. If we allow the Holy Spirit to have its way and we have that love relationship, so, so it may be, as, as, the, as the writer goes on, so it may be as God is dealing with you, loving you better than any harper loves his harp. 
He finds you a mass of jarring discords. He wrings your heartstrings with some torturing anguish. Oh, that sounds lovely, doesn't it? Oh, sometimes it hurts. Like that guitar string as he's plucking it and tuning it to the right one. Just get it. And it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. But he finally, that's the right one. That's the right sound. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you, Brother Philip. Appreciate that. But, but as, as, as God begins to torture your heartstrings with torturing anguish, not, he begins to wring your heartstrings with torturing anguish, he bends over you tenderly, striking and listening and hearing only a harsh murmur. He strikes you again. Oh my, it might not work the first time that he strikes you. All of a sudden, oh Lord. And it's just a murmur. And I don't want to go through this trial and this hurt and this woe. And Lord, I've been through so much. But eventually he's looking for it to come to in the midst of a trial. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Where he comes through it in the midst of that trial. Even Abraham, go offer your son where he says, yes, Lord, whatever you ask. I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to fulfill it exactly as you desire it. Amen, which, which is melody so sweet to his ears as angel songs. Nor will he cease to strike until your chastened soul shall blend with all the pure and infinite harmonies of his own being. Lord, keep striking us till our lives blend in with his, till it blends so perfectly with his love and his harmonies and his melodies. Oh, how we love him, how we need him. Brother Branham says it this way. I'll leave you with this quote. He says, oh, I, I declare to you that Christ is the Holy Ghost. The word Christ means the anointed one, just a person that's anointed. That is the Christ, the anointed one. How many knows that's true? Interpreted the anointed one. There, there would be a man that would be anointed. Anointed with what? The Bible said, Acts 2, that Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, anointed with the Holy Ghost, went about it and done great works and things. See, that's God manifested, proved what, that he was this man. He was in this man. And now he, we become anointed with the same spirit. Anointed Messiahs, Messiahs of the last days to shine forth the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To show that he is not dead, but in the form of the Holy Ghost. He and his people moving among his bride with a love affair to her. Pouring out, to her himself, pouring out into her himself. They are becoming one for the wedding supper. And the same signs promised by the same God in the same word is making his same manifestations. There's nothing left for us to do but believe it. And believe it is the substance that creates a perfect faith, which is divine love. Oh, how wonderful God is. That he's anointed us to do what? With divine love to perform the symphony that God has orchestrated for this day. He desires us to just be a tool in his hands. Lord, I believe. Let the musicians come. Let me just read. There's a poem that goes with that, that, that devotion from the streams in the desert. And it says this. It says, Oh, the sweetness that dwells in harp of many strings. While each all vocal with love in a tuneful harmony rings. But oh, the wail and the discord 
when one and another is rent. Tensionless, broken, and lost from the cherished instrument. For rapture of love is linked with the pain of or with the pain or fear of loss. And the hand that takes the crown must ache with many a cross. Yet he hath never a conflict. He that hath never a conflict hath never a victor's palm. And only the toilers know the sweetness of rest and calm. Only between the storms can the alpine traveler know transcendent glory of clearness, marvels of gleam and glow. Had he the brightness unbroken of cloudless summer days, this had, this had been dimmed by the dust and the veil of a brooding haze. Who would dare the choice, neither or both to know, the finest quiver of joy or the agony thrill of woe? Never the exquisite pain, then never the exquisite bliss. For the heart that is dull to that can never be strong to this. What's the poet beginning to get at? If you don't know the anguish, if you don't know the suffering, if you don't know the chastening of the Lord, you can't come to the glory. You can't come to the love that he desires to fulfill in you. It takes one to know the other. It takes that love of a father that'll go to the extreme end to break down all our own self-righteousness, to break down all our own rights that we think we have, to get us to a place where we're willing to let him play our instrument as he desires to play it. Hallelujah. When we sing that song, you are the words to the music that stand to our feet. You are the song that I sing. You are the words to the music, and you are the song that I sing. You are the melody, you are the harmony, praises to your name I
hold me close. Let your love surround me. Power of your love. Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be changed. Lord,
Let's be willing to be led like that by the power of his love to recognize he might take us to the extreme and he wants to take each one of us there to show us how much he loves us. But we need to be willing. We need to be willing to be instruments in his hand. Amen. I just, let me, let me just share this with you. It's, it's burning on my heart, but it's like the ones Jesus went to Simon's house. We know the story so well, how he went there. He was invited there, and he goes where he's invited as he went there. But somehow he slipped by the foot washer. Somehow he slipped by the one that was to anoint him with oil and to kiss him welcome. And he slipped by the master. He slipped by each one, and he went and sat in the corner with dirty feet. And we know how the, 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 the way the story goes and how the woman would come. But I wonder, sitting there in the corner, how many people looked at him. I wonder how Simon maybe looked at him and maybe made fun of him as Brother Bannon would say, look at him sitting there with dirty feet. But I wonder how maybe the foot washer, as he's standing there by the door and he had his place, he had to stand there by the door and how much he would have looked back and thought, how did I miss him? But he was so into his religious piety, he couldn't move from his place. Because he might miss somebody else. If I leave this place and go here, I'm out of my place. I can't do that. Same with the one that anointed them with oil and would pour oil on their head. He recognized, I can't get out of my place. I can't go over there. I have to stay where I am. Why didn't they? Maybe there was even a time that the, the, the chef, as he was cooking in the back, and he just got himself a big pot of water to go put the rice in. And maybe he peeped out the curtain with a pot full of water and seen Jesus sitting there and could have gone out and washed his feet. But instead he stepped back and went back and set the pot down and went on cooking about his duties because he wasn't willing to get out of place long enough to do Jesus a service. I know we're creatures of habit, creatures of routine, and we've got certain things we like to do, but I wonder if we're in love with him enough like that little prostitute woman that loved God seen him there and there was something that come right over her she said I don't care what it's going to take I know I don't belong there I know I'm out of place to be in there and that's not the right place for me and I'm not welcome at all but I'm going to do everything I can to get to him because I love him let me say it to you this way I don't know if you've ever thought of the story this way but what an indictment to Simon's house that a prostitute had to show him how to do service. Lord, help us. That we don't get to such a religious piety place where we got to have a prostitute come into this church to show us how to get out of order to wash Jesus' feet. Lord, help us to recognize when he's got dirty feet to be able to go no matter what time it is, whether it's in church, whether it's Monday morning or Tuesday night, whatever time it is, say, Lord, break me out of my routine and let me go to where you need me. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Don't let him sit in your life unwelcome in the corner with dirty feet just sitting there because we're so busy strumming our own instrument like Simon was. And I know best and I know the best. When the very master that made the musical is sitting there ready to count time for you, ready to play your instrument exactly as he wants to do it, but we just, we just won't step out. Lord, help us to find that kind of love for Jesus. How do I do it? Just surrender. It's the only thing we can do. Only believe and let him move on our hearts. Let him allow us to step out in our lives.
step out of our routine, step out of our habits, step out of our comfort zone to give that brother or sister a call, to go meet with them for coffee, to go help them along life's way, to say an encouraging word. Maybe say, oh, brother, you'd be so out of character for me to say to somebody, God bless you, or to say, you know, how I'm thinking about them and praying for them. Who cares if it's out of character? It's in his character. So get more of his character, less of your own. It'll help you. Maybe that's straight, but that's what Simon needed to hear. Stop being Simon and be a prostitute for once. Get out of your own character and get into somebody else's in order to forget all the social nuances. Say, Lord, help me. Lay aside my own life. Let God move on me. I know we sang it this morning, but maybe we can say it again. God still moves. God still moves on the hearts of his people. God still moves. God still moves in the hearts of his people. Then we'll go in prayer. God, God still. Moves. 